0: Hey everyone, it's Ricardo, and here is the Popping Collars lineup for the month of September 2020. Betsy, Greg, Liz, and I discuss workplace pop culture on Popping Collars, celebrating those fictional characters who do their jobs well. Take two sees the return of our first-ever podcast guest, Chris Arnold, coming back to talk about our first-ever podcast topic, Orange is the New Black. Betsy and Greg review My Left Foot starring Daniel Day-Lewis on Going On 30. Finally, Greg and special guest Shayna Watson explore what many people are saying is the best episode of Star Trek ever, the city on the edge of forever, on this month's Sacred Six. Thanks for listening, and keep those collars hot!
1: This is Kyle Goodman, the lead pastor of Alamance Presbyterian Church, and you're listening to Popping Collars.
2: Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I'm hosting for you today. My name is Liz Easton. I'm the Canon to the Ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. And with me are my co-hosts, Ricardo Avila. Where are you? What are you up to?
0: Oh, well, I never get to go first. Hi, Liz. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't ready. Uh, Who am I? Uh, Yeah. Hi, this is Ricardo. I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California, where uh, there is some concern (laughs) right now because we've got some uh fires burning nearby so we're all okay no evacuations yet from parishioners but it's 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 getting close and at last i heard it's zero percent contained uh not to be a downer but people are people are good you know but just you know just the pandemic and a heat wave and um some ash and fires i think we'll be fine (laughs)
2: 2020
0: Uh, welcome to 2020 again
2: what about you betsy Carmindy? where are you what are you up to
3: Oh, uh, Liz, I am here in the beautiful DMV area, living in Alexandria, Virginia, where I work as the head chaplain at the Episcopal High School. We were hopefully going to be welcoming students back in early September, but we have delayed for a month, hopefully, hoping to give us a better quarantine for our students before they come and uh and to really get our testing where we want it to be but slowly campus is becoming like a game of candy land is what i've been telling parents that there's little arrows on the floor and you need to go this way and i feel like i need to roll the dice every time i move places to see how many arrows it's going to take me to get (laughs) through this building and you know which door am i going in it's a lot going on a lot going on 2020 2020 2020. (laughs) that's the theme keep it going greg
2: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, great night. What are you up to with a beard?
1: Oh, Liz, it's so great to be here on the longest-running Episcopal podcast. (laughs) Number one. In
3: history. In history.
1: Of the world, of the galaxy at this point. You know what? I have this self-destructive habit. When I get stressed out, I create work for myself that I don't get paid for. Mm. um and mm-hmm. I, like,
3: grow, like growing that beard you have is that like a, this yeah, like, like this podcast growing,
1: perhaps uh well like the podcast <laughs> um perhaps and uh i made a documentary for our church about sort of our story of bethesda during covid and just posted it on youtube this week and Ooh. i gotta say i'm not much of a filmmaker but it came out okay so Good i part. have much respect for people that do that
2: that's awesome that's where can we find awesome. it
1: Uh, you can find it on YouTube on the Bethesda page on YouTube. Just search Bethesda by the sea and it'll come up. It's called seasons, but again, not getting paid to do it. A lot of extra work.
2: (laughs) Well, that's a good segue for our episode, uh, which is sort of about work, work and pop culture. So long time listeners to the podcast will know perhaps that I am a big fan of pop culture that features work or office environments or, vocation. And when you think about it, most television shows or movies and a lot of books and a lot of music too, if it's not about the family, it's about the workplace. So today's topic is uh, just that. It's about our favorite um, or most interesting or engaging workplace pop culture these days when our work
1: looks a lot different so oh, great man. do you have
2: the magic bag with i him? have a
1: a new magic bag because i'm in a i'm in a different location oh my um, gosh! the second so, location yeah so instead of a um what is the other one i can't remember what the other one says shine. Great, sir. this is a jesus loves me bag
0: even better wow to be carried around everywhere you go Jesus. <laughs> does. wow those are nice letters <laughs> B Letter for me. Ooh, yeah. It's me, yeah
3: what have you got for us so my workplace show that i really enjoy i am this listeners of this podcast know i'm big into procedurals right this could have been another excuse for me to talk about the wire i could have gone with homicide i could have gone with a lot of different things you know i love a good er right good like med med drama but I wanted to go with one that is, well, I think Liz, what I like about workplace things is that you get dropped into a dynamic that's already happening. You just get dropped in and you have to keep up. And the show that I really wanted to talk about was Veep.
1: Mm-hmm. Sorry,
3: Julie Dreyfus and a an ensemble of some of the most terrible people you can ever get your hands on. My husband was killed 15 yards from a ranger station.
0: I mean, killed
4: by a bear?
3: No
2: park rangers on site due
3: to the shutdown.
4: And a black bear. That's the weird part. They rarely attack people. Right. That's weird. That's I what I was... Exactly. Because right? then,
2: then he must have goaded him, and he must have, I mean, hit him with a stick or done something stupid.
4: Taunting him or forcing the bear to dance? Grizzly Adams. <laughs> oh, jeez. Enjoying yourselves? We were. Are you laughing at the violent death of a young man? Yeah, pretty much.
1: All right, guess what I just heard. Potus's quote in his soon-to-be-released Politico
3: interview in which he blames me for the government shutdown. What? Exactly what?
4: It was implicit.
3: Implicit? Implicit like a kick-me sticker on my keister would be implicit? Powerful men and women,
2: they couldn't agree anything
3: you've got to be kidding me now
2: i'm
0: to blame because some goober got all eaten up by a bear at the very least let's get in front
1: of something yeah and get in touch with this widow yeah do you hear that mike Uh. -uh. the bear widow get in touch with the bear widow
4: as well as get in touch with the press guys
1: yeah as well as get in touch with the press guys two
2: things call the guinness book of world records oh no no don't 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 don't, because that would be three things
3: and i am not the biggest cringe tv watcher like there are parts of the office, even the office though has it's cringy, but it has a heart. I don't know whether it's true about Veep, because it is just there are parts of it that are just soulless. You know, Veep started and and has moved into it was a farce, like it is that what became farce became real, and the motivations of all the characters are incredibly human and vulnerable, yet yearning for power, yearning for position. And it is so well written. I have not heard better insults or expletives used in any show other than this show. And I I mean Julie Louis Dreyfus gets a lot of the praise because she wins all the awards for the show. But the amazing cast that surrounds her from Tony Hale, Anna Klumski, uh, oh Suffle Bradshaw, it's just, it's so I've never actually watched Veep. Oh, now's the time, Liz.
2: But the now thing I'm realizing as I listen to this, I don't like the cringe. For yeah. And that's why I never liked The Office, because I felt like it was too making fun of people. I know that in later seasons it developed a heart, but in the first seasons I was like, I don't I don't like making fun of is people. Is
3: Parks and Rec a less cringy office for you? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like the office eventually gets to that place where Parks and Rec got to a little bit quicker. But I'm curious, uh, Betsy, are you a fan of early Veep or late Veep?
3: I appreciated <laughs> more the peek into the Veep position. It being the VP when when there isn't like this. Because it came along at a time where it's like, you know, Obama and 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 Joe, mm-hmm. you know, hanging out trying on sunglasses together you know <laughs> like they're best friends right. but to see <laughs> julie dreyfus's character just you know no one's giving selena meyer any breaks and it's just all about how can we get our foot in the door and i think that is probably the universal of the show is that mm-hmm. we we when we find that we have leveled up as far as everybody else thinks we can go uh, how do we kind of keep ourselves relevant if that's a part of our job right? When we find that things are aging past us. And I think watching her knowing she's maybe, I don't know, she's maybe 10 years older than I am, you know? And so it's like, what do you, what do you do? And you're kind of in that zone and you're a woman and what is that like? And you're surrounded by the staff. And I think here too, it might be for me, it's almost less cringy because it's so ridiculous because I am also, there are parts of the office, particularly the British office, and I'm like, oh, God. oh, oh, fast forward. Just like, just like the 10 second. Just get me out of the scene, right? <laughs> it's almost so ridiculous in V that it, it, it moves me beyond my crunch. Is kind okay. of where, where I find, I find myself.
0: So I haven't seen it either. And when you say cringey, is it nasty? Like people say nasty, uh, nasty things. Cause I can cringe for various reasons, but if people are kind of being nasty, like I'm still watching 30 Rock. I still haven't gotten through it all. And that Jenna Maroney character, she can say really nasty things and I don't like her. Uh, I think it's
3: more you see it coming. Like you see what the character is going to step in and it's coming. Or you know they're walking into a room and it's about to be really not great.
1: Yeah, characters become a victim of their own hubris on the show. Yes. So it's like Betsy said, oh. you know, it's, it's coming but and everybody sees it except the character.
3: Except the character where it, it's like the train into. is coming and no one sees it. And I think also, maybe I thought about it again after, you know, as Liz texted me, yes, I finally watched Hamilton. We're supposed to go see it at the Kennedy center with my family next week. It's still in the calendar. This role of vice president is such BS. And, and they bring that up in the show and it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's the person who loses, like it's your adversary. Who's your vice president. But now we've turned it into this buddy cop. I think, I... I think I like the way the show shoots holes in that as a, as an idea. That there's
1: there's something to be said for the original sort of idea behind the constitution of like your greatest enemy becomes your partner in your administration
3: <laughs> i mean there's almost something biblical about that there is that's I, I that's for sure and anyway
1: oh. all right the
2: jesus loves you bag says greg
1: greg greg hey. Hey. Um, I'm going in a completely different direction from Veep. When I thought of the topic of work, I uh, did the same thing as Betsy. It's like, oh, okay, so cop show, lawyer show, doctor show, ER, like all that stuff. But then uh, I thought about it a little bit more, and I'm going with the winner of Best Documentary in 2019, American Factory, which is a film on Netflix. We stand here today... um
4: with a plant that's closing, but I'm extremely proud of the people that work in this plant here.
0: For a year and a half, I didn't have anything. We lost our home, we lost a vehicle. I have struggled to get back to middle class again. Where you sit today used to be a General Motors plant, and now there are over 1,000 employees working here. Is this a union shop? It is our desire to not be.
2: There have been 11 complaints filed. Some workers claim unsafe working conditions and
1: unfair treatment.
0: Doing the same thing over and over again. That wears on your body and your soul. They told me that they had to be here two years away from their family. No extra pay. I made it their house. They made it my home. We've just bombed it. Nothing in America has changed in terms of working people working hard. What changed in America was rich people deciding they wanted to rewrite the rules to take advantage of
1: people. You never give up on American dream. To me, that would be un-American. American Factory is set in an old GM plant, a closed GM plant outside of Dayton, Ohio, that's been bought by a Chinese company that makes glass like windshields for cars. And now the factory not only employs locals from uh, this town outside of Dayton, but also employs people from China. And so you get this, this snapshot of how these two cultures see work and how these two cultures see labor. I, Always grew up in the America. And I imagine, I mean, maybe I should check this against you guys because this is always how I saw the world. Work was something that you did, but that wasn't your life. It was like you had a work life and you had a home life, but and your home life was actually your life. You would go to work so that you could make money and then apply that money to your home life and, and make that whatever you wanted it to be. I wake up in the morning, I go to work, I do my job, but my real life is back at home with my family whenever I get <laughs> to spend time with them. And I think that the Americans in the factory, in American factory, they, they have that, that kind of sense too, I think a little bit. For the Chinese workers, however, like their work is their identity. Like that is who they are. They are their job. At least that's how they, that's how they talk about. Their work. And I think that sometimes we do that. Like we talk about vocations, like we talk about following passions and vocations and something. It's a fascinating look at how two cultures approach labor.
0: Wow. It's interesting. I I hadn't, uh, when you brought that up, that first question about do you see work as your vocation or as something that you just get through so you can have life at home. I think my dad worked in a factory. So it's like very working class. And I think for him, it was just a place you clock in and out of. But I think that their hopes for us or maybe my kind of assimilation, I sort of thought, no, no, my life has to have meaning and I need to have some sense of I'm doing something that matters and, you know, is important. So, of course, I went and got an English major, (laughs) which, hello. And so I spent, you know, like 18 years working office jobs, desk jobs, receptionist jobs, and all of that not loving myself too much because I thought I was doing it all wrong and I had to do something that really meant something. And so even like working and then having my life at home, I I was not satisfied with. I was like, this isn't how you're supposed to do it. Your work is supposed to define who you are. Now I have that, you know, kind of like I'm a priest and this is a thing and it matters and who I am and all the gifts that I bring to it are important. And you know, I kind of miss those days of clocking out at five. I gotta say, yeah. it's so just never satisfied and never in the right place.
3: That's interesting. I mean, it's so interesting because I talked about, you know, in the intro that, you know, we're a boarding school without the students. It's like, we're, we're like a, you know, and I'm not going to say school's like a factory. Cause again, you know, to say that is a negative context, right? Like that mm-hmm. means we're producing all the same student, which is not true of this individualism of American society, right? To be a place without its, you know, so much of and I was going to say product, right, is because so much of what we talk about, these kinds of the integration of business speak into school world. But that there is there's this lingo that kind of is out there and you're and you're in it. And you're talking about it. What is your deliverable? What is this and what is that? Which is interesting. And we're also a place that has an intersection of Chinese culture and American culture with Chinese students who attend school here. So. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah and
1: sometimes so it's it's really simple stuff yeah. like for instance like when the factory when they're redoing the lobby for the new company to move in and the ceo comes to take a tour of the lobby and he's like why is there a, a fire alarm in the middle of the wall like that's an eyesore you need to take that out and they're trying to explain to him like fire laws and OSHA laws and stuff like that and he's like no 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 you gotta take that fire alarm out like that's it that's that's really an eyesore. Like, I don't want my lobby to look like this, you know? <laughs> like
3: that's cool, right? So
1: I guess that's my thing is is labor. Who are we really? Are we the people we are at home or are we the people we are at work? Or are we a little bit of both? The question.
2: Um, before I say the thing that I actually picked, I also want to give a plug for a great little book about this topic, which you all have maybe read by Parker Palmer and it's called Let Your Life Speak. The term, let your life speak, comes from a Quaker adage. He's a Quaker. And it's the way that Quakers discern your vocation in life. Mm-hmm. And um, what he sort of discovers, he has these fraught early years as a younger man where he's trying to find the noble profession, but he's never quite satisfied. And what he discovers through um, discernment and prayer and talking with this Quaker community is that what he needs to do is living the life that wants to live in me. So it's sort of about alignment. So there are the gifts within us that then sort of align with the vocation that we're called to. So um, I think about this a lot because I work with folks in the discernment process to become priests and deacons. And you think about, we often talk about forming someone into a priest or forming someone into a doctor. And this would be true for any vocation. But the way that he looks at it is, um, you already are a priest. You already are a deacon. There are these native gifts within you that align perfectly with that expression of life in the world. There's a lot of privilege though in that. Absolutely, and I don't. And I, I think that for a lot of people, the mistake is <clears throat> imagining that it's it's the thing that will pay you money. Right. Yeah. Which is why if you can sort of flip the script, and I know like a lot of people see parenting or a particular season of parenting as a vocation. I think a lot of people don't. And that's like a thing that we don't talk about very, very often. It, it doesn't have, Parenting doesn't have to be that either. But some endeavor in the world where um, your gifts align with something that you do for the greater good of humanity mm-hmm. is, a, is a noble thing to strive for.
3: Well, and how many narratives of stories or movies or dramas or whatever are built on that the person who's in the job that they shouldn't be in right or or the person who's living the dream and they are born to do this thing and let's watch them you know that it can be the struggle for it or the acquisition of it and then how do you live inside each of those
0: Moments. that's interesting um so i have a couple things to say
3: <laughs> and this
2: is not know. even your pick right I now i feel like that's a cop no all. Oh, I, i'll
0: do my i pick. thought it was my bad <laughs> no no i want to finish my thoughts. <laughs> yeah please finish your thought <laughs> yeah i hadn't thought about oh, this he, as much he, i
3: parker palmer's a little poppy uh, i mean yeah, that's he's true is. maybe i'll
2: just let this be my thing i was gonna talk about parks and rec but i'll but i'll let this little parker oh i'm
3: sorry i didn't mean to call
0: that out earlier no it's like yeah, it's fine actually i kind of want to hear about parks and rec you know I was saying earlier, I don't know how that'll fit in the show, but I was saying earlier that I didn't, uh, I didn't know what to do with my life. I was like a receptionist and I was a case clerk and all these other things and the priesthood thing was sort of foisted on me, right? The rector comes, you know, father Paul and it's like, "You have a calling to the priesthood, I was like, "Heck, no for three years," which you know commission on ministries, commissions on ministry love, right? Love they don't want story. you to want it, and they had it in me and they're like, oh, you got to not want it." And I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't. Then I was ordained, and I still didn't. And in my <laughs> world, uh, I don't know. That totally is. I'm there with you. Right? Now, I think I am a good priest. I will say that. Uh, and I think I heard that enough that I can, I can say that without, you know, sounding cocky. But to, to, to kind of allow that in and let it be, and it's just like, oh, yay, I'm a priest. What kind of, I'd lose something of myself. I, I, I need to be a little naysay about it. I need to walk into a clergy meeting and you can keep this in the podcast and be a little bit like, oh, these people again. <laughs> <You
2: know? laughs> and that's part of why I like Parks and Rec. I will tell you, and this is all I'll say about Parks and Rec, it's just this little civil service. It's like this little, it's an office of Parks and Recreation in um, Indiana. And there is this sense of um, sincerity and earnestness that, like, the effort that I make in this small corner of the world is meaningful. And I will offer it with all of myself.
0: In a town of this size, the Parks Department traditionally has 10 employees. You have only seven. Why is that?
4: I work hard to make sure my department is as small and ineffective as possible. The department is so small because Leslie Nope single-handedly does the work of four people. And she's
0: already scaled back her time. If she wins, she'll be dividing her time between parks and city council. I'm going to have
4: to hire a deputy director to pick up the slack. No! Chris, that's unnecessary. The department is doing fine without Leslie. Then prove it. Complete one major project. Either we complete a government project, which is abhorrent to me, or we bring a new person into the department, which repulses me to my core.
0: If you're
2: looking for someone to help fill in for Leslie... April's a pain in the ass, but she's clearly the answer.
4: Perhaps you're right. Nice job on the water fountain. It wasn't me. Don't deny it. I'm asking you to step up. Not replacing Leslie, just picking up some slack.
3: I don't want to do things. I want to not do things. Just like you taught me.
4: And I taught you well. But I don't like watching you wasting your brain. And you're too smart to stay my assistant here forever. I'd rather you start a business or use your hands to farm... But right now, the department needs you. Please.
3: Okay. But only because you begged.
4: Good girl. Chris Trecker. This is Ron Swanson. April's going to take over some of Leslie's responsibilities. Excellent. I have been a fan of April since day one. I told
2: And it's not always pretty. Like, it's not... Like, our egos are... You know, our egos have multiple sides. You know, there's bright sides and shadow sides of our egos. and But when you show up with all of it, there's just this really sincere offering, whether it's, you know, in our case, it's to God. In other cases, it's to your community or just to humanity or just to your neighbor. To me, that's just a really beautiful thing to see.
3: All right, Ricardo, that- last but not least. it's Last one, last one. Greg, I think
0: you do this on purpose to be nice to me. Because how can I always be last, except like, like last time?
4: It's the bag.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess Jesus does love me. <laughs> that's, so that's
3: so right. the bag um, tells me so.
0: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I want to highlight uh, two songs <laughs> that um, make me think about work. And the first one is Working for the Weekend by Loverboy.
3: <laughs> Remember everybody's yeah. working for the I mean, weekend. Man. I just want to put my thumb over a hose and spray it around <laughs> and like just yeah, it's Friday
0: in slow motion. Yes, right? yeah, absolutely. That's right. And I don't, you know, it's funny, I like I looked up the lyrics and they don't make much sense. I don't know. <laughs> or, they're super simple. I just thought they were like a lot more profound. Where the is their Hall
3: of Fame induction? Where is Loverboy? <laughs> Loverboy? in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
0: Come on, baby let's, let's go. Fame. Come on baby, let's go.
3: <laughs> the Injustice. How many and years have re- they and been and on the ballot? It's terrible. <laughs> That's
0: right. Uh, but the other song that Liz mentioned earlier is a Bruce Springsteen song off of Darkness on the Edge of Town called Factory. Yeah. I don't want to get too intense, but um, it's basically, he's writing a song about, uh, from the perspective of a son seeing his father going off to work in the factory, like, early in the morning with his uh, lunch pail, how he punches in, and then he comes home, and, you know, he's tired, and what's one of the words? End of the day, factory whistle cries, men walk through these gates with death in their eyes, and you just better believe, boy, somebody's going to get hurt tonight. It's the working, the working, just the working life. And just the, that pent up kind of aggression. My father worked in a factory and he worked at U.S. Steel uh, in Chicago for like 20 years. And then Milwaukee Valve, another factory in Milwaukee for another, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And I, we did not have a good relationship. And so uh, when he would spend the paycheck over the weekend and we didn't know what to do, like, you know, to have food on the table. I would be angry. I was like the little, I was the youngest and I was like always angry with my father because he was ruining our lives, blah, 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 blah. And only after he died and somehow I was listening to this Springsteen song and I realized, oh my God, my father was a person Mm. and he lived on a ranch. He grew up on a ranch in Mexico and rode horses. It was in the country in the warmth and he spoke the language and he loved it. My mother told me after he died that he would stay up late talking to her about his life back then and how much he missed it. But his father, not a nice guy, my grandfather, basically had them all emigrate to Chicago. And so to go from living on a ranch, riding horses, to like cold winters, factory, metal, intense. He did not speak the language. He didn't really know my mother well. And he was isolated. I mean, and then he took the drink, you know, And so when I heard that Springsteen song, just suddenly a light came on. I was like, you know, my father, he never had control of his life. And he had to, you know, support five kids and a wife. And I I was able to honor him, but only after he died, you know, because I was too angry with him for messing things up. Even though if you think about it, we survived because of him, even though he spent some of those paychecks, we did have money. I wish I'd been able to, Know that about him, I wish I'd understood that Springsteen song uh before he died, and he died at like age fifty nine from wow. uh, cirrhosis of the liver right um so it 's a sad life <laughs> and i don 't mean to be a downer, but that song factory um the funny thing is Bruce Springsteen said that he kind of made all his his persona up. Remember, we saw him yeah. on Broadway, mm-hmm. uh, Liz? So Ricardo
2: that, and I saw Bruce Springsteen on Broadway. I don't know yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that room. again. That's
3: an old trope on the show. All right. Remember <laughs> that time, Liz? On Broadway. But um, he
2: does say, and this is, i was as I was th- listening to your story, Ricardo, which thank you for sharing that. I thought, like, I wa- I'm i sure Bruce Springsteen hears those stories all the time, but, like, how? what a powerful ministry that is, you know, of his to... Yeah. to draw that kind of connection out but and he does say in his book also you know I'm a guy who never had a job right and I've made my living writing songs about the working class and they're very um I mean that's a real gift like because they they are very true songs
3: you know I, Ricardo I just thank you so much for sharing that story
0: yeah sharing absolutely. that part of
3: your
1: life
0: yeah um, it's interesting I, I think that the sad thing is it's it's never not going to be bittersweet to think about uh, to think about him
1: so you know so like I say I grew up in a farming community and there's similar to a factory in the sense that it's day in day out kind of work you know Um, it's it's funny because uh, after our book club episode Liz has inspired me to read more books Uh, and um, and I've I've been reading two books back to back unintentionally, but it's funny to see the echoes that they have in each other. One was uh Heaven is a Playground, which came out in nineteen seventy-four and it was about street streetball uh, basketball players in Brooklyn, uh in Foster Park. And the idea with street ball over the summer was that these guys had to go out every day, every day, every day. And there was this um there was this one member of the neighborhood who could get these Streetball players into like junior colleges um, in like Texas and Tennessee and Illinois, like far away from Brooklyn. And they had no idea where they were going sometimes, but they would just play every day on the park to try to get noticed, to try to get sent to one of these schools. And then the book that I followed that up with is a book called The Last Cowboys, which is about rodeo riders in – Rodeo riders in Wyoming, Mormon Mormon riders, uh, Bronc riders. And the thing about rodeos is that you're not guaranteed a payout. Like if your horse doesn't perform, if the judges give you like bad scores for whatever reason, like you don't get paid. So you got to hit as many rodeos as you can. It's like a day in drive to this rodeo, then drive to that rodeo, then drive to that rodeo. And, you know, I never thought that street ballers in Brooklyn and rodeo guys in Wyoming would have something in common, but they do. It's the sense of like, we clock in, we do this work, we go on to the next place, we clock in, we do this work. And that's what a factory worker has. That's what farmers do. It's all sort of tied together.
3: It's that hustle.
2: Oh, just a work ethic. Like you don't always think of like kids playing basketball on the street or, you know, a parent sacrificing so much and suffering so much to provide or rodeo, right. You know, like we don't always honor that as like an incredibly powerful ethical and moral structure off, you know, because of racism and classism, but, but it is, it's a really powerful value system. And then they show up to church to be the volunteers who power that community. And I all, that was always amazing to me. Like, you know, I'm not a parish priest any longer, but when I would be all grumpy and like going into a vestry meeting and be like, oh, I work 12 hours today and somebody would run in with still wearing like their pumps or their necktie or whatever, running from work, like they had prioritized our church community and they had just put in a full day at the office. You know, this is a volunteer organization <laughs> where everybody right. else. has a job. I get paid to do the things that I'm asking people right. to do for free. Right. Right.
3: Well, and just this, how we have over the past six months had to talk about what frontline workers, who they are, how susceptible they are, what the infection rates are for folks who are in these often, you know, more often people of color and poor who are putting themselves out there because there is no other option for them getting paid and that they continue to put themselves out there. Good job popping.
0: Nice. Damn,
2: that was a far, conversation. I'll do the outro.
3: Thank you for joining
2: us for another special episode of popping collars podcast. Uh, you can find us and more about us at our website, popping You can find us wherever you get your podcast, please um, subscribe and rate and review. Uh, you can also find us on social media where we are kind of hit or miss. Please join us again. And keep those colors popped. Pop, pop.
3: pop. <laughs> All
0: right.